morning. Church family, it's good to be back uh, here on campus. Man, we had an awesome, awesome Easter service. I know some of you uh, are out of town seeing family and, and going to church with them and things, but man, we had just an incredible time at Creekside. Uh, we don't talk a whole lot about numbers, but numbers are important to the fact that they mean people, right? And so, I mean, we had 342 people at our Creekside service, which is just nuts. That's about 90 to 100 people more than we typically have here. Yeah, that's really cool. Again, not just for the sake of the number, but those are people who got to hear the message of Jesus Christ at Creekside. And as I told the first service, to fit 342 people, look around, okay, uh, it would take up at least three services, and then we would have to pray that every, that nobody came to one. Like everybody had to spread out across all three perfectly to even be able to fit that many here in three services. And so and we're just thankful for what God's doing. We're thankful for uh, the Creekside as a facility that we can go to when we need it. Uh, we rent that facility. Some people ask, like, how did we get that? Isn't that like a weird thing? We rent it just like anybody else can, okay? And so uh, uh, but we're thankful for the staff and the Board of Education that allow us to do that. But um, And also, it wasn't your typical Easter message. Uh, sorry about that, but that's just what the Lord was leading me to to kind of teach on, and the one takeaway that I've heard about more than anything, more than anything, I mean, I've had phone calls, I've had text messages, emails, intense conversations. People want to know, what was the name of the wing place that you referenced? <laughs> and you, like I had a lady, she, the first service, she said, I came back this week just to hear about that wing place. <laughs> And, uh, but here's the deal. I keep waiting for the person who told me about it to come forward and let me know what, cause it wasn't a wing place. It was like a, it was like a diner, like sandwichy kind of place, but they had really good wings. And so I've just been praying that God would, you know, stir in the heart of that person <laughs> to come forward and remind me of the place. And as soon as we do, I promise I'll let you know, but I pray that, uh, that God did speak to you at our Easter service more than just about wings, but we are kicking off a new message series this week and we're calling it Sabbath taking rest back from the world. And so we're going to talk um, a lot about this idea of Sabbath in the Bible, which we'll get to. But it doesn't take much looking around at the world today to see that, dude, we have a rest problem in America. And we have an absolute rest problem. We have all but forgotten that easy pace of life that we enjoyed in like March and April and May of 2020. You remember when we couldn't do anything and we were bored out of our minds and we all got a Netflix subscription even if we didn't have one? Like, we've all but forgotten that easy pace of life. And just from my perspective, no stats to back this up. Uh, just from the circles I run in and what I see, I feel like we've not only caught back up to where we were, in some ways I think we may have even surpassed the busyness that we were experiencing before. And so, man, we are, people are so busy today. And here's the thing. Here's what's crazy about busyness. We know it's bad for us. <laughs> Like, we know it's bad for our health. I read a study that showed that uh, some, some studies are even showing that the average life expectancy is decreasing in America, more so than it is in other places. And a lot of that, they believe, has to do with stress-related issues. Um, we know uh, uh, that, that it's not good for our families. Right? Not getting quality time with those closest to us is destroying our families. But we often don't acknowledge that being too busy has a huge spiritual impact on our lives. It not only affects um, uh, the, the physical, it not only affects our family, it affects, it wrecks us, I'll say, spiritually. And what's so crazy is the Bible actually talks a lot about it. 
the Bible actually gives us some really cool principles that if we'll learn those and we'll begin to put those into practice, uh, it'll help us a ton. So one of the themes that addresses this idea of busyness and rest in the Bible is the idea of a Sabbath. So over the next few weeks, I want to walk through this biblical theme. We're going to start today at the beginning. So if you're going to go on up to Genesis uh, chapter 2, that's where we're going to start. We're just going to walk through this biblical theme. And I didn't think to say this in the first service, but I want to say it now. Like, try to forget everything you think about the Sabbath for a moment through this series, okay? Because we have some preconceived notions about what the Sabbath is and what it's not. Some of you think you're celebrating the Sabbath by showing up here this morning. I'm going to argue over the next three weeks that's not the case. I'm going to argue over the next three weeks that the Sabbath is something so much deeper and greater and more beautiful than anything you've ever dreamed of. And we're going to see it over the next three weeks. And as my wife said, Heath, you got to tell them about this and this and this. We're riding in the car yesterday, and I was like, babe, Take it easy, right? Like, because Kelly and I have been studying this idea of Sabbath and rest over the last few years, just talking about it, and like, I want to give it all to you, but I'm going to get hungry before we're done, so we're just going to, we're going to pace ourselves, okay? So we're going to begin today at the very beginning, looking at Genesis chapter 2, but I promise you, you don't want to miss all three of these, because they're going to build beautifully on one another as we go through this series, okay? I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, and then I'm going to pray and then we'll come back and start walking through this. This is The word of the Lord says this, Genesis 2.1. <clears throat> so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you humbly asking you, God, to give us wisdom and understanding. God, speak today through your word. God, not through the words I say, but through your word to help us live different this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So when you read Genesis chapter 1, what you're going to see is God's creative work in bringing the universe into existence. However, you get all the way through these like six days, these images of what God is creating on each day, and it's building on itself beautifully. And then at the end of chapter 1, it's just over. Like six day ends, period, end of the chapter. And we're left with, well, aren't there seven days? What happened to the seventh day? So you've got to get into chapter 2. The first three verses really tie a bow on that well. So just an aside here. If you're not familiar with how we try to we try to talk about some biblical history and stuff here at church as well. Um, if you're not familiar with how the Bible came to be what we have today, I want to help you. Um, anybody ever written a letter to someone or an email and included chapters and verses in your email? Praise God, because that would be weird, wouldn't it? That would be creepy if we wrote a letter and included chapters and verses. If you'll take note of chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see the argument that I was trying to make. That's weird. We wouldn't do that. Neither would the biblical authors, okay? That would be weird. So when when they were writing, they were just writing words. They were putting things, they were putting pad to pen, uh, uh, writing for future generations and to particular people. The, the numbers that we see were added years later. It was actually around the 1200s that these words were added to because they're helpful, aren't they? Because I said turn to Genesis chapter 2. I didn't say turn to the 2000th word. I don't know what I would have, I don't even know how I could have got you to the right place, right? So we have these chapters and verses. The verses were a little easier, just put one at the beginning of every sentence. The chapters are tough, though, 
Because you got the, it seems like what they were trying to do was, was kind of break it down into its segments, right? And I just want to say this. Sometimes they got it wrong, okay? And if you're like, hey, it's the Bible. You can't say that. The words are inspired. The word of God is inspired. The numbers are not, okay? These numbers were added in the 1200s. We have no, there's no biblical scholar that believes these chapters and verses. So I can say I disagree with it, okay? Love what's written in here. It's the word of God. Would never question any of it. But the numbers I can question. They got that one wrong, okay? (laughs) Because the end of chapter one, chapter one should have kept going for three more verses. And then chapter two, it would have been beautiful. But for whatever reason, we didn't. I wasn't around. Somebody should have asked the question. Okay, that was all for free. I don't know why I do some of those things. But, but these verses, the, first, the three I just read, serve as the conclusion of the whole picture of creation to this point. Chapter one, walking through these incredible six days of creation. Each day, God is doing something particular to bring about his creation. And he's doing it all just by speaking. Really cool. So for six days, he creates this all-powerful, this, this strength without end God speaks for six days, creation into existence, and then the Bible tells us he does what next? He rested. He rested. Now, if you're taking notes, what we're going to do today is we're going to see four connections to the Sabbath. Sabbath is this idea that we're going to get. I'm going to tell you what it means here in a second, but there's four things that I see in this text and what the text that follows, four things that are tied to the Sabbath that we've got to acknowledge if we're going to understand it. And the first one is this. So this is, if note takers, you know, you know who you are. We're going to see the Sabbath and God. Sabbath and the God. So it actually says twice in the text, God rested from all his work. God rested from all his work. Now, dude, what's, so what's interesting? What's interesting is the word, so uh, the, the Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew, Okay. And so y'all know y'all love when I try to pronounce Hebrew words, so it'll be fun. Um, but the word used for work here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, is the word Shabbat. The Hebrew word Shabbat, that's where we get the word Sabbath. Okay? But what's interesting is the word Sabbath or Shabbat doesn't mean rest. <laughs> it actually means to stop working. It means to cease. Okay? And those two are very different things. It means to stop working. And look, at that helps me a ton in understanding the Sabbath because I think it means to rest because you were tired. But if that were the case, then why in the world would God have needed to rest, right? Why would God have needed rest? Did the Almighty really need a nap after creating for six days? Some of y'all worked outside today or yesterday. 77, got, it felt hotter in 77, didn't it? And some of y'all needed to come in and take a rest You came in and got a drink of water and you lay down on the couch because you needed rest. But the almighty God did not need rest. So why was he resting? Well, he wasn't resting. He stopped working. It's a very important, very important distinction to make. So if he didn't stop working because he was tired, why did he stop? The text tells us. Chapter 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God had completed his work from that he had done, or work that he had done, and he rested. So there's no mention of his mental or emotional state here, right? God was just really tired. He just had a lot on his plate. He just needed a moment. He needed a spa day. Like, none of that's mentioned. It doesn't say that he's burned out. It doesn't say that he's wore out. 
It says he stopped because his work was complete. Now, many people will teach and preach that the only reason God rested on the seventh day was to just show humanity that we needed to rest, to set an example. The same reason why when I was teaching Elsie Joe, because we're in the South and you have to teach your children to say yes ma'am and no ma'am or they'll get in trouble at school, right? And so I was, when I was teaching my children to say yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, you know what I did? I called my daughter ma'am. Super creepy to be in public. Because people think you're weird, dad. When you, call your, when you say no ma'am and yes ma'am to your child, it's creepy. But why did I do that? I was modeling for her something I wanted her to do. She didn't, she's not my elder. She doesn't deserve to be called ma'am right? in the big scheme, but I did it for her. A lot of people view the Sabbath that way. Why did God rest? Simply, he was just doing it for us. He didn't need it. He didn't need this. But again, if, if it means to stop working, it's totally different. But I believe God was doing much more than modeling for us something. Here's I've studied over the last few weeks, reading commentaries, listening to podcasts, checking on articles. The reason God rested hit me like a ton of bricks. God stopped working because creation was complete. Put that down as number two, Sabbath and completion, because these two things are tied together so well. Sabbath and completion. So if God rested, God Sabbathed, he Shabbated after things were complete. Don't go crazy after I read this statement because we're going to go deeper. So if that's the case, then if I expect to rest, what do I have to do? I got to find some level of completion. So here's what we do. Let's get all of our work done, every project, every bit of paperwork done this week, and then we can take time off. Don't freak out because that can't be it. Because, see, most of us work in an environment. Most of us work in businesses. I work in a business as a pastor that never ends. There's never a, ah, I'm done for the week. Huff. Right? Like there's always this ongoing. There's always another order. There's always another shipment. There's always another sale to make, more computer work to do. There's always more paperwork to do. There's always more dreaming and scheming for the future. So how is it that we are supposed to find a break? How is it that we are supposed to Shabbat if we never come to a place of completion? It's hard to figure out. But again, there's more going on. Look at God's creative work. I want to ask you a question that maybe you never thought about before. But as God was winding down that sixth day and thinking about the next... Do you think he could have looked around and found room for one more tree? Do you think he could have looked around and thought, you know what we need? One more species. Something weird. Something real down in the deep depths of the ocean. Like he could, he could have, he could have, what about one more island for Hawaii? What about 10,000 more stars? What about another galaxy or another meteorite? Do you see my point? If if anybody understands what our work is like that seems to have no end, God understands. God understands what it's like to take on a task that seems to have no end. As God was creating everything that we see in the world around us, there was plenty of space for him to nitpick it to death and overwork it. If you and I, even if we had the power to create and the time to do it, we would never quit because we'd go, hmm, I don't like it. That color green is not quite right. Which tweak it just a little bit. Like I, we we would we would drive ourselves crazy. Like we can't even build houses and stay married, right? Like we 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 can't even make decisions about wall color and what lamps to put in. Like we have to 
This is the problem we have. So God understands. But God got to a point with creation where he says, that's enough. I'm done. And he stopped working. It's not that he stopped his involvement in creation. The rest of the Bible is riddled with stories of God interacting with his creation. But his com- he completed his work to the point that it was time to stop. And that alone is what so many of us need to hear. The work has to stop at some point. I have to be able to say, that's enough, and stop my working for a bit. Because there was certainly more work that God could have done in creation on that seventh day, but he took it off. Instead of clocking back in the next morning or logging on after the kids were in bed, he rested. That's the model. That's what we need to do. An infinite God did this. So how much more do finite creatures need to cease our work with regularity? We have to be able to look at our work and say, that's enough for now. It's complete. So just to help us understand this, so in a sense, when we think of the word complete, in this context especially, what we're really talking about is contentment. So I want you to, if you're a note taker again, this is like a sub point or something, I don't know. Complete equals contentment. Being able to be content with a particular amount of work and be able to rest. That's why so many struggle with it. Being content, if that's you today, be encouraged and challenged with three words. Cut it out. Like Shabbat this week, right? Cease from your work this week. If we lack the contentment to stop our work for a day, listen, then our work has become something greater than it was never intended to become. It's become a God in our lives. And I don't care, there ain't enough money in the world for me to put anything in God's space. Cease, church. Be willing to turn it off. Look, there's a whole other aspect of this going on that's even more beautiful. Even more beautiful. It was cool to see. I didn't even realize this till the last couple of weeks because I'm still learning in this too. Because there's another word for rest in the Old Testament that has a totally different understanding. It's beautiful. So let's go back to the text. Let's keep moving through this. So, The next literary movement in the book of Genesis begins in verse 4 of chapter 2. It's here where the story takes a sudden shift. What we begin to see is less of a focus on the structured ordering of creation, and the focus is more about the relationship that God has with his creation, especially these early humans that we call Adam and Eve. Chapter 2 is much more intimate in the explanation of the way that God interacts. And what it tells us at the beginning is that God forms a garden, a garden in a place called Eden, and it was unique from the land around it. And twice it says that God placed the man he had formed in the garden. That's verses 8 and 15. And like a weirdo, I'm going to read them both. So this is verse 8 of chapter 2. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Now, in both verses, God is placing man in the garden. Placing man in the garden. Uh, some, some of your some of your Bible translations are going to say it took him to the garden, or he 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 put him, or something similar to that. There's a bunch of different ones. 
But though the same word is used in these two verses, 8 and 15, it says he, in my, in my version of the scriptures, it says he placed the man in the garden. It's actually two different words in Hebrew. We won't talk about the first one, but I want to focus on the second one because it becomes a, an awesome theme through the rest of Scripture that we'll talk about in a minute. And I'm going to teach you one more Hebrew word. We already got Shabbat. Let's learn one more because I get to spit on this one. This one's my favorite. And it's the word nuach. There we go. Sorry about that, Kaylin. Um, nuach, right? And, but this word also means rest. But where Shabbat was about ceasing from work, Nuach actually means more what we think of as resting. It was used to refer to, to a camel laying down. It, was, it means to settle in. It means to hang out. It means to lay down. And so when the scriptures say that God, God placed man in the garden, it means that he rested him there. He nuached him there. Fun fact, if uh, you're ever in a Bible trivia contest or something, at the end of Genesis 5, we're introduced to a man. I'm going to give you his name in Hebrew, Noah. What does that sound like? Uh, Noah. So Noah's name meant rest. It was Noah, but the word was Nuach. His parents named him rest, a little play on words like we do sometimes with our baby names and create some weird stuff. But his parents named him rest. So the word nuach is very much, it, it, when, it, when we talk about the word nuach and, and revert to rest, it's very much about being present. It's very much about being present. So write that down. We see, number three, a connection between Sabbath and presence. Right? Because God placed man in the garden. He rested him in the garden. His presence was put in the garden. But here's what's interesting. As we keep reading the biblical story, what we find out when we get to Exodus 20 is that it wasn't just man that rested in the garden. We get to the giving of the law in Exodus, and we're going to talk more about all this stuff next week as we get to what the Sabbath looks like for the Israelites. But but just for today, let's just read this one thing, because this is this is a conversation where... where uh, where Moses is talking about keeping the Sabbath day holy, and, and this is what he said about it. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. Man, again, let's, let's go back. In Genesis 2, that word Shabbat is used to refer to the rest that God had on day 7, but here in Exodus 20, guess what word is used? I bet I give you two guesses. I bet you guess. It's the word nuach. So what we find out is that not only did God place, not only did he rest humanity in the garden, God himself rested with humanity in the garden. He himself was nuaking there. God ceased from his creative work, and then he rested with man in the garden through a very personal relationship. There's some online resources that have helped me in the past and uh, some, some great Bible teachers uh, that, I've, that I've looked at and that helped me see the connection between these two words over the last couple of weeks. And, and they've got about seven to eight hours of podcasts on the Sabbath that you can check out. If you've got seven or eight hours laying around, uh, that's what I'll be doing this week. But, um, but they helped me see that these two words are connected in this way. The second one can't happen without the first. You catch that? The second one, the presence, the resting, the presence can't happen without the ceasing. You can't truly be present with another until you cease from your work. You're grasping that. If I want to be present with my wife, with my kids, with my parents, with my neighbors, with a group of friends, with my church, I have to first be willing to stop my work. 
Man, as my former pastor used to say, that'll preach. Because how many, how many of us come home from work trying to be present with the people that God has placed in our home, trying to love these people over dinner, but we can't lock in because we're still at work. You experience that? You're trying to nuwak, but you never Shabbated. You with me? The Sabbath day that was commanded to the Israelites, we're going to talk about that more next week, it, wasn't, it was more than just a don't work day. It was a be present day. Many people would actually entertain friends and family for their Sabbath meal, which meant they what? Had to cook, had to clean, all those things. Like It was, a, it was an entertainment. Some of you are, are in, true introverts, and you're like, entertainment is work. I promise you that. Like having people in my home is one of the worst things I do. So this is more than just a don't work day. This was about being present with the people in our lives. It was about acknowledging completion through contentment, but also being present. And man, it's just, just as we keep working through this, it, this presence becomes even more evident as we see sin enter the picture in Genesis 3. So after we hear the story of Adam and Eve and God's presence among them in the garden, then Adam and Eve sin in Genesis 3. And just as a, a dad who sits down with his kids to talk about what punishments we got to have. A new reality. You did this that I told you not to do. Now here's what your life looks like now. That's what God does with Adam and Eve. And this is what he says to the man in Genesis 3.17. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. I've heard some people say that work itself is part of the fall of man, and if we had never sinned, man, we never would have had to work. Thanks, Uncle Adam. You blew it. But look, I've already read this verse, but let's go back to it. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it. And to watch over it. So there is work before and after sin. So this is the fourth one. Hey, and I told you there's only four, right? We're rolling. The fourth one. The fourth connection here. What is the connection between Sabbath and work? Okay. So let's talk about this. What was different about the work after sin? Just from my perspective, studying the Scriptures, I think two things. One, just based on the Genesis 3 passage, it seems like work is going to be much harder after sin. Can we agree with that? Like the description that God gives of what work is going to look like does not sound fun. Um, so the best way I can describe it is this. When Kelly and I first got married, uh, we lived in this, uh, this quaint, is that a good word? A quaint little house, uh, 996 square feet house. Um, and uh, uh, it, it was ugly, um, you know. And so, uh, but we loved it, and it was awesome for us. And uh, Kelly wanted to make it more beautiful. And so she decided, you know what our house needs is right in front of our house. We need, we need a flower bed. We need something to break up that weird fireplace brick thing on the front of our house. Like, we need that. And so, so uh, when we got married, I don't know if they even still do this. We got married uh, for generations and generations before me. Um, 
the only people that got to have a wedding shower were the, spouse, were the wives, right? And they got all the things for the house. But there was this beautiful thing that they started doing around the time I got married was they would do a tool and gadget shower, which meant that the guy got to walk around with a little scanner in Lowe's and Home Depot and just scan whatever we wanted. Like, it wasn't Bed Bath & Beyond. It was Lowe's and Home Depot, and I'm just scanning stuff like crazy, right? Um, one of the things that I scanned was a, was a craftsman weed eater. Gas, well, it's two-stroke, but so you had to do the mix thing. I hate that. Anyway. But I had, I had that. And so what I, the reason I got that one is that there were attachments that you could have for it. I don't even know if they still make that. But, but they had this attachment. There was a tiller attachment. And Kelly had already told me, we've got to do something in the yard. So I was like, I'm going to get that tiller attachment for my weed eater. Sounds like a great idea. And uh, so the first, I don't know if it's the first Saturday after the tool and gadget, I get out there and I put, I put that sucker on and I'm like, let's go. I've worked a tiller before. It's a little different because it's got this long handle, you know, the weed eater thing. And it feels lighter than it's supposed to, but whatever. And so I goose it the first time. And what do you think that tiller did? That sucker just bounces off the ground. And so I, I apply more pressure and it gets about this deep and starts hitting rocks. And it just stops. Right? And then at that point, uh, Kelly can tell you, I pull a rock out this big out of the blades. The blades are all bent up and I've bent the shaft of my weed eater Never got to use the tiller again. What I learned in that moment, listen, what I learned in that moment is that that tiller attachment was not made for tilling. It was made for retilling. Okay? A big difference. That, that tiller was great for turning ground back over that had already been turned. Okay? You need a real tiller if you're going to actually till up ground that hasn't been tilled yet. Right? Hard Alabama dirt was not moved by this thing. And so... That's the lesson I learned. I destroyed the blades. You see, this is what's going on. Yes, in the garden, man worked the ground and he tended to plants. But listen, there was already a garden there. God planted the garden before he ever put man there. So man's not coming in and having to create. God's already created. Man's just coming in and tilling it, okay? So yes, it's work, but it's an easier work. But what happens after sin is they were removed from the garden. They were placed out into the wild earth where, where the, the ground is hard, red, Alabama, dirt. And man has to now do the work that God had already done for them in the garden. It's going to be tougher. And I could have told them, don't waste time with the craftsman tiller. Like, get the dedicated tiller that's heavy, weigh about 200 pounds, but it'll be worth it. Runs on gas, not two-stroke. Anyway, so, yes, work was harder, okay? I think that. But it was more than just a physical reality. I believe God, the way man's work changed after sin had more to do with a spiritual thing. Because, yes, the work was harder, but the worst part was the lack of God's presence. You see, when man was removed from the garden, they were removed essentially from the intensity of God's presence that they'd experienced and enjoyed to that point. The Shabbating, the, the, the ceasing and the nuaking got ridiculously more difficult when they left the garden. 
It had to be done with much more intentionality. The work was easier in, God, in, in God's presence, and, and, and it was easier to spend time in God's presence because he was there. He was walking among them, but no longer man's heart was now bent towards sin and brokenness, not towards God and his glory. Listen, church, that's where we are in the wild earth outside the garden, destined to do hard work without the natural draw to God's presence in our heart. If you and I are to connect with God well and with others, we're going to need time to do it. We've got to set aside intentional time each week where we put all of our work stuff aside and we spend time with those that we love, but more important, we spend time with God. So I believe in Genesis 2, the God, yes, he was showing us an important principle of what our rest should look like. And if you're trying to complete your work before you rest, you'll never rest. Because God ceased from working. Because he was content with what he had created. So we've got to wrestle we got to learn a level of commit, contentment with life that will only come from God through Christ so that we can cease from our work and we can give our presence to God and to others. Now, even though that probably felt like drinking from a fire hydrant as I'm using crazy Hebrew words, we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next two weeks. But I want to stop here at this place just to ask the question, before we get into all the, the, the beauty of the Sabbath as it becomes part of their everyday life to the Israelites, I want to ask the question, do you see a lack of ceasing and a lack of presence in your current life? If so, ask God today to soften your heart towards that. Begin to free up your schedule. Ask him to help you do those things. Ask him to help you find time to cease from your work and to be present with people and with God. Because not only did, here's the crazy thing, as I said, none of us would have expected the seventh day for God to rest. Party. I don't, like, I don't know what we expect on day seven, but it ain't rest. It isn't cease from our work. That would catch us all off guard. And just as God catches us off guard with that, none of us would ever think that he would have rested on the seventh day. None of us would have ever predicted that he would have sent his son to die on the cross for us either. It's just as surprising to me. He actually sent a very real part of himself, one we call the son of God, to be born as a human being just like us on this broken Alabama dirt <laughs> around the earth. To be here, born on... I don't think he's born in Alabama, okay? That came out wrong. But just the, in the broken world that we live, right, with hard dirt, God, Jesus was born here. He lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't dream of living, and then he died the death that we were supposed to die, and he did it all out of grace and love for us, broken sinners. And this Son of God, this Jesus, he shed his own blood to pay the debt for your sins. And listen, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus to save you and make your relationship right with God, I would love to help you do that. Because you're going to hear a message today about resting, about, about Shabbat and Nuach. You're going to hear, hear a message about ceasing and resting. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, if you've not yet trusted in his name, you can try it this week. And you may be successful. But it will not become a long-term Practice in your life without God's help. 
And today, God stands ready to offer his help to you, which is his spirit residing in your heart to help you make the right decisions so that you can rest and cease this coming week and many, many weeks to come. So I would love to share with you about how you can trust in Jesus, but I also want to speak to those in the room that already got the Spirit in us. We've already been filled with God's Spirit, and and we're choosing not to follow God's practice of rest, ceasing and resting. I just want to challenge you and encourage you. Deal with it. We're fixing to sing a song, and I think it's four minutes long. And so... We're going to sing all of it. Don't think we're going to end it soon, okay? Don't wait for me to come back up here and, and Pastor, just end it, okay? Like, we're going to go through the whole song. So here's the deal. I just want to ask you, over the next four minutes, don't get distracted by what you got to do next. Don't get distracted by what the world wants us. Don't, like, let's decide in this moment to wrestle with what God has shown us from his word today. Let's deal with what God has put before us. Let's take the next four minutes or longer after that if we need to wrestle with these things today. You can sing today this song in response to God's goodness. You can pray right where you are. Or we always, we call this an altar, which is probably a creepy word if you've not been around church, but it's just the steps to our stage, okay? But you can actually come and pray up here. And the only thing that's different, it's not an anointed place, but when you come up here and pray, there are people that voice prayers for you. They don't even know your name probably. But they're going to voice prayers for you to ask God to step into your life and to help you. And so you can pray right where you are. You can come up here and pray for yourself or other people. And I'm going to stand back at the back like I always do. If you need to come talk to me, if you need to trust in Jesus today to, to get God's help with what lies ahead of us, I'd love to share with you about that. You just need to come out there and pray and say, God, uh, God, I need help. Um, I need help with ceasing and resting. I would love to pray a prayer over you as well. Okay. So I'm going to be back there if you need help taking any next steps. But I'm going to voice a prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing and respond together. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. And, God, we thank you that, uh, for, for what you did on the seventh day. And, God, I pray that, um, that, God, as we wrestle over the next three weeks and what it looks like to cease and to rest and to be present, God, you just give us wisdom. Uh, God, help us to understand your word. God, not, not uh, bring into it the traditions or things that we've heard, God, but let's just look at your word and what it says for us today, God. And then let's look back at what it meant for the people of God way back then. And, and uh, God, let's, let's figure out, God, help us through your spirit. Help us understand what this looks like, God, because we want to be obedient to you. We want to follow you. God, we need your help. And so, God, today, I pray, uh, God, that you would... Help us to take next steps. God, help us to to, uh, start wrestling with the things that are broken in our lives. And and God, not to fix them ourselves, but to ask you to fix them for us. So God, today, as we wrestle with this message, God, I pray.